The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Turn to Psalm 32. Um, what we're doing is uh, we do this during the summer because it's New England and um, you know people are in and out. And so I figure we can start preaching through the Psalms and we're just going to work our way through you know eight to ten Psalms per summer. And then in 15 years, we'll have preached all the Psalms. That'll be sweet. But also it doesn't, if you miss a week because you're on vacation or you're gone someplace, you're not missing like a thread of like, you know, we're preaching Romans chapter four and then we're Romans chapter five and you're gone for one and then you, you miss it. You don't know what's going on in Romans chapter five. You're totally lost. So we're just doing uh, the Psalms. And so we're in Psalm 32 uh, because we uh, did this last year and we ended at Psalm 31. <laughs> so we're just going to pick up Psalm 32. And um, we are calling this entire series the, song, uh, the Songs of Jesus. Um, and if you're familiar with Tim Keller, I totally ripped this off from Tim Keller. It's not, uh, it's not a big secret. But um, these are songs that God has given us to express the core realities of our life in God together. Um, core realities of what it means to know God and to enjoy God. And um, to walk with God through pain and suffering and joy and gladness and life together. So you get a lot of grit in the Psalms, and so we are going to be picking up a Psalm 32. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the Psalm, then we'll pray for God to help us, and then we will start looking at this together. You guys cool with that? All right. Psalm 32. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave all the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they should not reach him. And you are, my, you are my hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with, with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Father in heaven, we look to your word tonight because we want to be happy in Jesus. And so you have forgiven us all our sins so that we can be happy. And so, God, we ask that you would give us your spirit now to be able to hear from you and to understand your word together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So forgiveness is a bit of a tricky thing, right? Forgiveness is one of those things where, like, um, we talk a lot about it, maybe, or we experience a lot of it, or we experience the need for it, maybe, at least. Um, bad things happen in our lives, and we have to deal with them, right? That's kind of just the nature of forgiveness, right? Bad things happen. Whether they're like light things, like I cheated on my first uh, spelling test and I need to be forgiven for 
cheating on my first spelling test or great horrible realities of sin in our lives either we're the victim of or we perpetrate. Um, forgiveness is just a major reality that we all deal with. Um, and at the heart of it, right, forgiveness is basically this, this thing that happens where um, bad, something bad's happened and there's something that's now uh, that has to be dealt with. And then we have to learn how to move on from what's happened. Um, and uh, one of the ways we deal with it often at times is by saying, like, well, he didn't mean it, or it wasn't that bad, or we diminish it, right? We kind of say, like, well, you know, it wasn't that bad. Like, he didn't mean it. He didn't know what he was doing. Um, or we say, like, well, she's not going to control me anymore, so I'm going to forgive her and move on. And this is not going to be something that rules my life. And uh, we just kind of, like, diminish it that way, one way or the other. Um, and there's a lot of... Uh, a lot that we could say about forgiveness, but the reality is that what's going on with forgiveness is something's broken, it needs to be dealt with and moved on. And uh, I don't know where you're at with the Bible, one of the things that we see in the Bible is there's a lot of broken things, a lot of things that need to be forgiven. In the Bible, um, the Bible's full of all these stories of people who are, um, it seems like uh, you get a bit of like the Jersey Shore of all the worst things that could possibly happen, and you just throw them all in the Bible as stories, and you say like, these are God's people, right? And you read them, and you're like, okay, I would kind of expect God to have a little bit of some like higher grade, higher grade people that like he likes to be his people. Um, you know, you go through the book of Genesis, and you've got... Um, you know, people killing people left and right, and you've got families doing crazy stuff. I mean, it's like, do you guys know Jerry Springer show? Like, I always think of the Jerry Springer show, but like, I mean, it's just like one Jerry Springer show after another, right? And it's just like one constant thing. And you're like, man, like, you would kind of expect God to have like his people together. And these are the people that he's pulled together and said, these are my people. A bunch of broken people who do a bunch of broken things that need to be forgiven. And it's one story after another, and that's why uh, God is a forgiving, we see this picture of God constantly in the Bible, if he's a forgiving God, um, he likes to forgive, he does a lot of forgiving. And we could just kind of say like, well, it's just kind of like the way God is, right? <laughs> you know, like we do the sinning and God sorts it out, and then it's all like happy in the end. Um, we look at Psalm 32, and we are looking at a psalm by a guy named David. And when we look at Psalm 32, and we look at the story of David, we are, we're going to look at this in a little bit, but David is one of these main Jerry Springer acts that's kind of like, you know, like the top ten of like the worst thing that's ever happened in the Bible. <laughs> like David like takes the cake for one of the, like one of the best characters and one of the worst characters. And so he writes this story having been forgiven by God. He writes this psalm having been forgiven by God. And he takes us into the heart of what forgiveness is all about. Like what is going, like what is forgiveness? What is the very nature of what it means to be forgiven? Right, because with God, we're talking about somebody who doesn't forget, right? Who doesn't um, let people off the hook just because they're a nice person. We're talking about God who keeps accounts and who is offended by sin. And we are looking at David, who is a total train wreck, who has been forgiven. And not only has he been forgiven, but he's happy about it. <laughs> he's really happy about it. And he's calling us to be happy about being forgiven. And so we're going to look at, we're going to break the psalm in half. We're just going to go to the first five verses, and we're going to look at the life, uh, um, what it means, our happiness in forgiveness. Right? We're going to be looking at like the issue of forgiveness itself. And then we're just going to look at our life and forgiveness, the last half of the psalm. And we're going to look at what it means to move forward in forgiveness. So, we're going to look at 
the first five verses. I'll, re I'll read these again, and then we will begin to look at our happiness and forgiveness. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. So he's talking blessed and blessed. Like big happiness going on. And when I kept, for, but when I kept secret, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. All day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by as the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So here we have, at the beginning of this psalm, David is talking a lot about sin, right? He's, he's actually using three different words to, to describe his sin. He's talking about, right, my transgressions are in verse 1. My transgression. So what is that? Transgression is a rebellion, right? Transgression is um, the, you know, the law says this, don't run the red light. <laughs> transgression is I run the red light, right? It's, it's a pretty simple, it's a rebellion against what has been said we should do. Who, and then he says there at the end of verse one, whose sin is covered, right? He's talking about sin. So what is, sin is just this general idea of like missing the mark, right? There's a lot of different pictures for sin in the Bible, but sin is not just kind of something that we, um, we stub our toe and maybe say something we shouldn't say. Sin is basically, um, you were designed to function like this, right? You were, design, you were designed, if you were to design a car, a car is meant to drive on the road and you don't use it like a boat. <laughs> so sin, when it says missing the mark, um, we're designed to live for God and to enjoy him and to walk with him. And we miss the mark when we go our own way and say, you know what, God, I'm going to make my own rules. So we miss the mark and how we're supposed to be living. And then well, he goes on to say there, uh, bless the man who count no iniquity. Iniquity is this idea that um, it, uh, there's an intentional deviation from the right path. It's, a, it's what's going on in this word. It's a guilt. What's going on when he says this, he's talking about sin all to start out with. These are basically crimes against God. Right. This isn't just kind of like um, small things. These are crimes against God. And what he goes on to say then is the story as it develops is basically saying, God, I've committed these crimes against you. It's David talking. And I have not confessed them. This goes on verse 3. Right? I've kept silent. My bones wasted away. My groaning all day long. Night, night and day your hand was heavy upon me. And my strength dried up. So you have these three. Not only is he describing sin, but he's describing, um, here's what happened, right? I lost all my strength. Um, my life was horrible. And it didn't go very well for me. <laughs> right? And if you know the story of David, right? David's story is, um, it's kind of like this, right? There's a, David's story is just kind of like one train wreck after another. But one of the kind of like key high points for him uh, is he is the king. And at the time, he was supposed to have gone out for battle. And instead, he let his troops go out to battle and he stays at home and he hangs out in his pad. And then he's checking out the neighborhood girl. And he, get, he seduces her. And then he's like, okay, I've got to cover this over. And what happens is, the way he covers that over, he's like, well, I'll call her husband back so that if, if she's going to have a baby, there's no problem. He's the dad. And then the prob what happens is the guy comes back and he's like, I'm not going to, I can't like leave my friends alone. So he's, he's not going to go in and uh, spend night with his wife. And then David's like, okay, I've got to cover this story up. Um, I'm going to make it so that he gets killed in battle. So the guy gets killed in battle. 
she's now pregnant. She's clearly going to have a baby. And uh, David is just kind of like denying the whole thing. There's maybe one of the instances that he has in mind when he's describing this in this psalm. And um, the route is that it, his sin covered uh, does not do anything but destroy him. Right? It begins to eat away at him. We don't see that in his and the story. It seems like in the story, in that aspect of the story for David, um, it seems like he's kind of like patted away and kind of like hidden away in the back locker. And um, but thankfully, God comes after him and exposes him, exposes the sin in his own life. And that is what we're seeing here. One of the many times in David's life where he has his sin revealed to him, where he has not done what God has asked him to do, like us. And he is uh, eating away from the inside. But then what he goes on to say is, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. So the story kind of progresses in this way of like, um, this is what sin is. I know I've sinned, but I'm going to kind of like hide it away. And that doesn't go very well for him. And then he's like, okay, I'll acknowledge my sin. And so what happens is, so you have these kind of like repetitions of three times, right? Here's what sin is, three descriptions. Here's what happens when I didn't acknowledge my sin, three descriptions. And then I'm going to acknowledge my sin. It's my sin. I kept um, there in verse, verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, oh, I'll confess my transgression. So now he's owning it. He's, he's owning his sin before God. And then we see in the beginning of the psalm, this is the blessing. What happens? Sin is covered. So there's three things that happens. Sin is covered. God doesn't count the iniquity against it, against him, right? And then God, um, let's see, he is not, sorry, I lost my place. Sin is forgiven, it's covered, and uh, there's no count accounting. Right, you see this in verse 1 and 2, where God basically says, there's no burden. I'm going to lift the burden. That's what it means to be forgiven. There's going to be no more uh, action. There's no, no more, uh, no, no more uh, sin that he, God's going to be seeing. And then he's going to render a verdict of innocent. So I know we've kind of been like kind of talking through these verses. Um, but I don't know. This seems like a fairly common story to me. I don't know about your life. But um, I can pretty much relate to this story of basically, I've done something that I should not have done. Um, I decided that I can manage it on my own. <laughs> and I'm not going to acknowledge it before God. And then it eats away at me. And then God graciously allows me to confess my sin and be forgiven. I, I, when I think of this, um, I know this is, a, this is a trivial story, but there was this moment where I was in second grade. And this, the teacher at in our class had gotten, I'm not sure why we had palm branches, but she had all these palm branches. Um, and she'd kind of like, we'd done some activity in the class with them, and then we're outside the door. And uh, the, I, for whatever reason, I thought, you know what, I really want some palm branches in my room at home. <laughs> Like, I don't know why I want palm branches, but like, you know, I really want some shrubbery in my, in my room. And so I decided I'm just going to take a few of these and go home with them. <laughs> but I knew that I, was, I wasn't supposed to do it. So I, I grabbed them like on the sly on the way to the bus. And of course, like clearly, like all my friends are like, hey, Jacob, where do I get these palms from? And I'm like, I don't know. I'd, what's that over there? Look at the squirrel, <laughs> you know, and then I like rush them home. And then of course she finds out. And there's this moment of like, are you going to own it or not, right? And I, and, and I knew that she would have known, and I knew that she knew, and I had to confess it. And she was like, look, it's, it's, more, it's more important that you took it without asking. I would have given it to you if you'd asked. 
but I knew that I shouldn't have. It, I know it's a trivial story, but we can all relate to this situation where we are in like, look, we do something that we shouldn't do, right? We look at something that we shouldn't be looking at. We, uh, we drink more than we should be drinking. We uh, go places that we shouldn't be going. We say things we shouldn't be saying. And then we have this like gnawing reality of like, what do I do with that? <laughs> like, I can't get rid of this. Like, because it's something that you've done, right? It's not something that like a, a shirt that you picked up along the way and like, oh, I'll just dump the shirt in the trash. Like, it's something you, like it's a part of who you are now. It's a part of your story. Um, it's, a, it's a common story in the Bible, right? Adam and Eve, very beginning. What happens? They do something they shouldn't do and God comes to confront them and they're like, what do you mean? We, it's her fault. It's not my fault. She did it, not me, right? They start blame shifting and denying it and trying to cover it over. So these verses here at the beginning of this psalm about forgiveness are all about the story of something that we all relate to. We know what we shouldn't do. We do it. And we try to manage it in our own terms. But a fascinating thing is that David starts out this psalm by saying, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. And blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Right? Sometimes we get this picture that God is... Um, God's kind of like the doting grandfather universe and we do bad things and God kind of says, oh, it's okay. You know, like here's a candy bar. It's going to be okay. Like God is like the very purpose that God exists is to write Hallmark cards to get us off the hook, right? Like God's just like, look, here's what I do. My God, first job description, forgive sinners, right? <laughs> and that's what God does. That's just like what he does. But at the very heart of it, this story is showing us that God is not just kind of like, he kind of like, well, I, just, I guess I'll forgive you. I guess it's kind of like what I do. Like God, the purpose that God has a purpose in forgiving us, that the very DNA of, of forgiving us, we're going to talk about more of this. So with the story of how it gets resolved is God's purpose in forgiving us is to make, take us from being in this guilty state of being ashamed of who we are and what we've done and being gnawed away from the inside to being bursting with joy on the inside, right? He's, his, his purpose and forgiveness is to make us happy, right? Because he says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Like the, the purpose of forgiveness is to make us happy, right? It's not just to kind of like clean the slates or to kind of like get us through the door and then we kind of go do our own thing. It's actually to, to make us happy. Right? It's, it's to bring us out of the valley of the shadow of death, so to speak, right? The, it's to take us out of the depths of where we think we're just trying to getting gnawed away by all the, the things that we've done wrong and actually to resolve the inner turmoil, right? It's this picture that we see here is a God who is a proactive forgiver to take us from one place to the next. But do you notice, I don't know if you picked up on this in verse five, this fascinating little, little moment. Verse five, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave my, the iniquity of my sin. See, when we ask for forgiveness with each other, right? Like when I think, okay, I've sinned against Michelle. I, I think, okay, I've sinned against Michelle. God, forgive me. And then I go and I think, okay, I want to go and confess what I've done to Michelle. Michelle, I'm sorry. That was what I said to you this morning was incredibly rude on the way out the door. That was demeaning. Would you please forgive me? Right? We, so we expect this kind of like conversation to happen. Right? Um, I say I'm sorry. You say 
you're, forgive, you're forgiven. We expect this conversation to happen, and sometimes it kind of plays out in our, you know, depending on your personality, like you need a little bit of some more like affirmation before. Like, I, it's really okay. I really love everything about you, and I know that you didn't mean this for, you know, I've, I accept your apology. All right, so we, we imagine this sort of like conversation in our head. Um, but what happens here in verse 5 is there is no conversation. <laughs> I don't know if you notice this. There's no confession, actually. What happens is David says, God, I agree with you that I'm wrong. And there's a heart posture. God, I agree that I'm wrong. And what he says is, when I agreed that God was right and I'm wrong, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Right? He said, I will confess. And it's not, I have confessed. He said, I will confess. It says, I will do this. I'm going to confess to God that I've sinned. And the response is, you're forgiven, right? There's no, there's no like transaction of conversation between him and God of like, okay, God, I'm going to pray the rosary these so many times as a way of confessing my sin to you, and then you're going to forgive me. There's, there's no, there's no conversation that happens, which means that here's, here's why I'm kind of like pressing on this point is that it's this heart posture towards God. God, forgive me. God, God, I, I realize that I'm wrong. There's no confession and God gives his grace to forgive. Like there's, there's no, um, there's no way of doing the right sort of confession to get God to forgive you. Right. Or there's no way of, there's no place in here for, for, for feeling bad enough to earn enough from, you know, to earn God's forgiveness, right? There's not like, well, uh, God, I, I sinned at a grade three, and so I feel bad at a grade three, and now you forgive me at a grade three. Does that make sense? Right? It is, God, I, I recognize that you're right, and I'm wrong, and God forgives in a way that you can't earn his forgiveness, right? You, it's not like you, like, feel bad enough, and then God forgives you. So there's no merit to our forgiveness, which means that the forgiveness that David is looking at talking about here, it's a heart posture, and it means that the gospel is something that we cannot earn. Right? We cannot earn God's forgiveness. Right? That's what David's driving at here, right? David David is driving at we cannot repent enough to make God forgive us or to work out a transaction where God forgives us. Right, that is at the heart of the gospel that our forgiveness that we receive is based on the graciousness of somebody else. Right, that's, that's what the gospel is all about. The gospel says you can't do it. You can't say you're sorry enough. You can't do enough to get God to forgive you. <laughs> but actually, somebody else has. Somebody else has done enough, has forgiven you, not because of how much you've done, but because Jesus who has done everything, has done enough. Right, so there is, in this picture of forgiveness, this grace that comes to us, not because we've, we've even felt bad enough to earn it, right? Like, like, we haven't even done enough to earn God's repentance, or to like, when we're like, sorry. Like, we haven't done enough to get God to forgive us. And yet God forgives us to make us happy, which means that, God is more concerned about Jesus and who he is and forgiving us in Jesus so that we're happy rather than um, us lashing our back, so to speak, to make God happy with us. And I think what this does for us is this, um, 
This secures our happiness not in how we're feeling about our lives or our, how we feel about our sin, right? It secures our happiness, actually, in God himself, right? It says, um, uh, are you guys tracking with me? I feel like I'm kind of wandering here. No? You're tracking? Okay, sorry. It means that our happiness is actually secured um, in God's graciousness to us rather than, like, how we feel about, like, like you were saying about the rosary beads? Like, I don't know, did you guys grow up Catholic? Did you guys grow up in a Catholic context where you, like, you pray enough rosary beads or you do enough rosary beads and confessions and then you do enough um, Lord's prayers, right? I, I was Catholic, I went to Catholic church for a few years, right? You do all that stuff and then it's like, okay, now I can be happy that things are okay with me and God. <laughs> but actually what this says here is your, your happiness has no relation to how good or bad your day has been or how good or bad your confession or repentance has been, right? So that means that the the God of this psalm is after making us happy actually in himself and not in what we can do for him, right? So that means that we can walk in the week ahead when you guys have a bad day. One out of seven, I promise, will be bad. And just, you know, it's just going to be that way. That means that we can actually go to God and say, God, I know that you can make me happy, not because of everything that I've done this day, but because of everything that you've done, because of who you are. And actually, I don't know if you guys wrestle with this, what this does is um, this posture of grace that says you can't even like be sorry enough about your sin to make yourself acceptable with me, it actually gives us assurance of our salvation, right? I don't know if you guys wrestle with like, am I Christian? Am I not? Does God... Am I, am I really Christian? Am I not? I mean, to be honest, I, I question my, my salvation like every day. <laughs> like I, I just, I'm trying to be a Christian by nine o'clock in the morning and then I can figure God can handle the rest. But like, I'm, I'm always wrestling with like, I don't know, like, am I like really a Christian or not? But what that means is I'm looking at myself and what I've done. Like, have I done enough? <laughs> have I felt bad enough? Have I given up enough sin? Have I done enough good things? To where like, okay, yeah, it's a pretty good idea, you know, on a scale of nine to, you know, one to ten, like I'm probably like nine out of ten is sure that I'm a Christian. What this does, with this picture of grace that says, when you agree, simply at your heart level, just say, you know what, God, you're right, and I'm wrong, (laughs) and Jesus is right, and I'm wrong. That simple picture, at the heart level, that Jesus is enough, that, that's that's the only thing that God looks at. So, yeah, you're a dirtbag. <laughs> I'm a dirtbag. But Jesus is good. That's the only posh, that, that's the only thing that God looks at for the for you to be a part of the family, right? It's a it's a family, a free admission. If you just say at the door, I'm a dirtbag. <laughs> right? And what that means is that when we come to this question of like am I a Christian or not? If you wrestle with that question, well, have you have you realized that you're a dirtbag and that Jesus is great and good no matter how much you've done or how little you've done for him, that means that you're in the family. Like that, it's a simple picture that when, when David says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, right? Whose sin is covered, right? That, that's the happiness he's going after, right? There's this grace that says, you don't look at yourself for how much you've done to kind of like accommodate for your sins, right? You look to Jesus. You look to God and his goodness. You look at who he is, and you say, God, I, this seems like I can't do anything, but you've done everything at the heart level, right? 
there's a confidence that we receive in grace. But if this is the type of forgiveness that he offers, this means that we should be very quick to, to confess our sin. We should, be, we should be eager in a certain way of saying like, you know what? I've sinned, God, and I need your help. <laughs> because if this is God's picture of grace, of how he forgives us, that like you don't have to go through all these motions, do all this stuff to get his forgiveness, but actually it's free and open and, and God's the one proactively pursuing us to forgive us. It means that we can um, eagerly step into saying, God, I need your help, right? So First John chapter four, we have the simple line. First John chapter one, I'm sorry, chapter one, verse nine. Everyone who goes, sorry, that's second John, wrong John. First John, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? The picture is not if we confess our sin and do enough to get God to kind of like, like us. <laughs> no, the picture is God's a happy God who's eager to forgive us of all of our sin and stuff, right? All the things that would gnaw away at us on the inside, the narrative on the inside that we'd want to define ourselves by. God is eager when we just say, you know what, God, that's all wrong and I need you. God's eager to forgive us, and not only just forgive us, but to cleanse us, to make us clean. That's what is going on in Psalm 32. David is having this internal experience of being cleansed by the free grace of God. Right? I just, God, you, you're enough, and I'm wrong. God, you make me happy by simply forgiving me. So this is the, the, our happiness and forgiveness, right? This, this free grace that invites us into God's presence. But David turns his corner in verse, from verse 5 to 6. He goes from this personal experience of God cleansing him on the inside um, to now this kind of corporate experience, right? It goes from like the prayer closet to the worship service. We're going to look at our lives, our life in forgiveness. So verse 6, Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you can be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. So what's going on here is God is um, he is saying, God, I want, I'm, I'm in the company of your people and I'm with your people and your people, though there are many sorrows that accompany our life, they come in our lives, right? The, the rising of the water, so to speak. They don't overcome us, right? Surely in the rush of great waters. It's not that Christians don't experience suffering and trial and hardship. It's that those great waters don't overcome them. They don't get defined by them ultimately. The picture is probably um, at the time um, the Jordan would get flooded in the springtime and the waters, the, the, the river bank would rise up. You know, you talk about we got the 30 minutes of flash flooding today, right? <laughs> like this contact, this idea of like we get, we get indulged with all the troubles of life, right? They just come rushing down upon us and the, it looks like the water's going to come over and we're gonna, just going to get totally sucked in by all these problems. But the same God who's forgiven him, he has gathered together these forgiven people who know a lot of trouble and yet they are not overcome by them. You are a hiding place for me. Verse 7. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And I, when I originally read this, I don't know if you do this. When I read this originally, I'm like, you, sh- you surround me with shouts of deliverance. I wonder if, that, it just seemed to me like, I was like, oh, that must be God shouting a deliverance. 
which actually I think what's going on here is, is that the people of God just gather together and the people of God are shouting about God's deliverance or singing about God's deliverance together. They're the ones that, so when it says, you surround me with shouts of deliverance, God brings you, for example, he brings you to church <laughs> so that other people can say, God's good and he delivers us from our sins and our troubles and they can sing it around you, right? So this is a bit of like um, here at six o'clock in the evening on, on Saturday night, God has placed you here so that you can hear other people say, look, God forgives dirtbags just like you and me, <laughs> right? Verse eight, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Now, I think what's going on here is that David is basically turning his attention to the people and speaking about what God will do for them. And it's, it's God addressing them through David, right? So it would be like me saying, God says to you, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Right? So it's God speaking to them through David. And then he goes on to say, Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, and it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So here is David basically playing out this story that he's gone through in the first five verses at a corporate level, right? He's gone, he said, look, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sinner and I need God's help. And God, when I, when I just simply look to you and say, God, I'm broken and I'm a sinner and I need you, you've forgiven me already. And now I get to get together with all these other people who've done the same thing. And we get to say, God, you do this for us and you protect us and you uphold us and you preserve us. And there is this difference that happens where you preserve those people who trust in you, but the people who are left to themselves will be gnawed away for all eternity and their own internal hell cut off from you forever. Right? They just, to not, to live a life, I remember we talked about crimes against God, constantly going after crimes against God, they'll be left to themselves. Right, but God has offered himself freely to forgive us. So the, the challenge here is that we should not, that if, verse 9, be not like a horse or a mule, right? To be defined by our sin apart from God. To refuse him when he has offered such a happy forgiveness, right? This happiness that he gives us in Jesus is like, Look, I'm forgiving you not just because I'm just trying to like clear the slates and kind of balance out the checkbook of the universe. I'm forgiving you because I want you to be happy. And to continually refuse that is to say, I'd rather be sorrow, I'd, be, I'd, be rather, I'd rather be ashamed and defined by my sorrow for all eternity apart from you, God. Like that, that does not seem like a wise decision. <laughs> it does not seem good. But that's the, kind of the, that's the lay of the land. He's laying out this picture that you can either be stubborn and defined by your own sin, or you can be happy and forgiven. But the thing that's interesting to me about these 6 to, six to 11 is that David, and this happens a lot in the Psalms, is David becomes really confident, right? He becomes like a bit of like, like he's a bit cocky, right? He's like, God, you're for us. You're going to protect us. God, you're going to preserve us, right? We are, we're, not, we're not only dirtbags, but we're godly and we're righteous. <laughs> I'm like, God, like, where is that grace coming from? Like, where, what is, where is he picking that up from, right? I, here's, here's what I think David's doing. I think David looks at the God of the Bible. He says, you know what? Uh, God, you forgive sin. 
but God, you don't just forgive sin, you cover it, right? So you, verse one, right? Blessed are the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, right? So David's looking at the way God interacts with sin. He's saying, you, you cover sin, God, you, you cover it. And then I think what David is doing is he's saying, God, it's not just that you cover it, right? Because he talks about like your hand was upon me in my sin. It was like I was covered over by, just pressed down. But now, God, I think that actually you, you cover me with yourself. God, you, you cover me because you're a faithful God. And if, if David's looking at the way God interacts with sin and says, God, you not only expose sin and you forgive sin, but you cover it. He's setting us up for this picture where the way God forgives is not just to kind of say like, well, under the divine mat of the universe, actually God is, God is himself saying, I forgive and I give you myself as the assurance that you're actually righteous now. Right? So he's, he's giving David what he does not deserve. He's giving David something that David actually has never asked for or earned. But he's giving David, he's giving us his righteousness, his goodness, his uh, perfections to be defined by. We actually see, you know, we call this the doctrine of imputed righteousness. We actually see this in Romans 4, where Paul picks up on these, this very psalm, actually, these very verses. And he says, Romans chapter 4, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works... He had something to boast about, right? If Abraham had, like, repented enough to, like, get God to like him, like we were talking about, he would have had something to boast about. He would have been able to say, like, here's, here's how to repent and get God to like you book, right? And he would have gone on a great book tour. He would have made a lot of money and sold to conferences and all that, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted him as righteousness. Now, the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due, Right? So which means that if, if we repented at a certain level, God's forgiveness to us, it would have been due us. It would have been the transaction. Like, God, I've repented enough. You owe forgiveness. God, you, you owe me. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteous apart from works. And then he quotes Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Right? Why is David so confident before God? <laughs> because David is looking at God's, the way God interacts with sin. He's saying, God, you don't just forgive sin. You actually give on top of your forgiveness. Right? You don't just create like this neutral state. You actually give your righteousness to us. He's looking forward to Jesus. Right? David doesn't, isn't fully aware of that. But he's looking at a God who's faithful and gives righteousness. And then we see this in Jesus where all the dirtbag stuff that we've done, right? He talks about transgression is forgiven. Sin is covered. God counts no iniquity. It's because God does count the iniquity. All this accounting language. Now, if you're an accountant, you're picking up on this language, right? You're like, I live like 40 hours a week accounting one number after number. Where's all this stuff gone? Accounting where it's at. Where is your sin gone to? It's all gone to Jesus, where God did account for it. God accounted for the sin. He's accounted for your sin and my sin, but the ledger has been canceled because Jesus paid it. Right? We sing the song, Jesus paid it all. 
right? That's from this Psalm, right? Jesus paid the ledger of our sin against God so that when God looks at our sin, he can say, canceled. And it's not just canceled, but it's covered over by the perfect, the goodness, the righteousness of Jesus. So that's why you saw 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, right? And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as is written, that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord, right? We don't boast in how great our repentance has been, right? We don't boast in how great our confession of sin has been. We don't boast in how great our faith is. We look and we say, look, I can't even muster up the faith and repentance and confession to like get God on my side. (laughs) But God has done everything for us in Jesus so that we can be forgiven. And then all the things we need. So when we look at Psalm 32, right? They're praying, right? But all the God, they offer prayer, right? The only reason our prayer is heard because Jesus has offered the perfect prayers and continues to pray for us so that our prayers can be accepted by God, right? That's, that's what the book of Hebrews talks about. Jesus is right now, as we're, we're talking about him, worshiping God, praying, Jesus is covering over our prayers so that they're heard by God, right? How do we know that God's going to protect us? I don't know about you, but I've been pretty faithless to God on a regular basis. I, I haven't done the things that I should do. I haven't um, been as faithful to God as I would like to be. The reason God protects me is not like he loves me, loves me not how faithful I've been. It's because Jesus is faithful. Jesus is the one that's been faithful. And it's because of his faithfulness that God now treats me like Jesus' story. Right? The story of Jesus now becomes my story. The story of Jesus now becomes your story. So that when God, when you say, God, I need your protection, where are you at? Like things are going down and I need your help. You say, and God says, well, why should I offer you help? We're imagining a conversation. You turn and say, because Jesus has been faithful and you're faithful to Jesus and I'm in Jesus and God's faithful to protect you and preserve you, right? That's, that's how this life of happy, of, of happy forgiveness works, Right? Right, we're not trying to like work up enough so that God forgives us and then we get happy and then we get God's help. No, Jesus has done it all and now everything is true about Jesus is true about us and how God treats us. Which I think in our life together, in our life in Jesus, it means that we don't have to really be too concerned about how much we've done and all that stuff. We kind of forget about ourselves and look to Jesus. Right, the things that define us now, the story that, for, for, that, that defines us are not all the horrible things that we've done, that we've said. I mean, I, I still remember things that I've said in my life where like, they were just so incredibly angry and mean. Those are things that, those are not my story. Actually, the story that's true about me because of Jesus is everything about Jesus. Right? Goodness. The Son of God grace and mercy, those are things that now God is beginning to write into my life so that I can actually want to pray, be with his people, live a life with God, be protected. Right? One of the things I think that's fascinating about this psalm is that they are together here at these last 6 to 11. That God they come together. We need each other to do this. That's why we do small groups. We do small groups because I need you guys to tell me the gospel about God's faithfulness to me and Jesus over and over and over again because I'm going to forget it. You need me. You need the people around you 
get together on a regular basis and shout about God's deliverance. There's a story, I don't know if you guys know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is. Uh, my, my third son's middle name is after Dietrich. He did this thing where he had, um, he had this Christian community where he was leading for a little while. And in their worship services, what they would do on a regular basis is they would turn to each other and say, um, this, the, you have been forgiven in Christ, or something along the lines of like, the grace of Christ forgives you. Right? They wouldn't even have to forgive, confess their sins. There's something that we need for each other to confess our sins, yes, but to be reminded of God's goodness to forgive us in Christ on a regular basis. I was with a friend recently. We were talking about heart struggles and sins that we're struggling with or seeing in our own lives. And he was confessing some things that he's been going through. And I just said, you know what? We could talk about how to make better decisions, but here's what we need. Why don't you just receive this for a moment? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And God has forgiven you. Right? As the defining narrative of our life together. Not, hey, I know you're a jerk face and let's get your act together. <laughs> it's, here's a story about Jesus that's true. And let's remind each other about it. He's forgiven us. The challenge I want to play out here as well is that we should be leaders in confessing our sin. Right? <laughs> right? In our neighborhoods, in our families, guys especially, we need to be the first repenters in our family. We need to be saying, look, I am just like this psalm, I am, a, I am a sinner, my sin, my iniquity, my need, my brokenness, my rebellion against God. I, I'm going to be more concerned, that the sign of a healthy marriage, just as it just throws out there, the sign of a healthy marriage is when you recognize that you're the problem, not your spouse, right? Your spouse might be a problem, but you're the first problem. Repenting of your own sin, being a leader in repenting, that is the way of happiness in this psalm, right? God, I'm a sinner and I need your help. Now, one thing I do want to throw out there is just to say, we've been talking a lot about happiness and what it means to be forgiven. God's forgiven us all of our sin. And if you're forgiven, you should be a happy person in Jesus. And the reality is that sometimes we're not. The point of this psalm is not to badger you, to say, if you're not happy, you should be, feel really bad about yourself. It's actually to offer hope, right? To say like, no, as a forgiven person, God's people are happy people. The for, forgiven people are happy people in Jesus. But if you're not happy in Jesus and you're struggling, that's okay. This isn't to, to say like, oh, you're, you might not be a Christian or you might need to repent of some hidden sin in your life. Um, you might need to repent of some hidden sin, but it's actually to offer hope that the the reason God forgives you is so that you can be happy. <laughs> to be happy in God. To enjoy God and who he is and what he's given you and offered you and made you a part of his family. It's a ho- it's to offer hope that we are to be a people that are forgiven and happy in God. Right? I hope you guys are seeing with me. In Psalm 32, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. It is actually to be forgiven is to be happy. Right? Why? Why are we talking about? Start out. Why we forget? Why do we forgive each other? Is not to kind of like move on with our life or anything like that. It's actually to move on in happiness with God. That's the whole purpose of forgiveness: is to live our lives in joyful happiness with God. Let's pray, Father. We ask that you would help us to find happiness in Jesus, to know you, to confess our sin, and to experience your forgiving, free grace in Jesus. 
God, would you help us tonight to be happy in you? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.